And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Tuesday, August 15th. Happy Tuesday. It is Project Prospect. On this episode, we dig into recent promotions and demotions. And then we're going to take a deep dive into the rookie class of pitchers. We had a great question from Monday's show about a few rookie pitchers and their expected workloads this season. There's still a lot of other pitchers we should talk about in that same light. So we'll set some expectations for the rest of that group and maybe even dig into a possible uh, future closer or two looking at this group of rookie relievers. Again, time permitting. So gang's all here. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Chris Welsh. Let's get started with a promotion. The Giants have decided to swap Luis Matos off the roster and put Wade Meckler on the roster. Welsh, should we care about Wade Meckler in the short term from a fantasy perspective? Oh, this is very Casey Schmidt. Should we care if we have, you know, depth needs for big leagues? Sure. I will say the thing that was positive is I believe in the debut, they were hitting him two, which is nice. You'd love to see these guys hitting higher in the lineup. That opens up opportunities. But I think he's in a similar mold. And the Giants, they've got they've got kind of a, um, a theme of players that they have in their system. Obviously, Marco Luciano is a little bit different. But I was going to say at the top is like Wade Meckler is kind of like Luis Matos from just an overall offensive standpoint. There's more power in Matos' game. There's more stolen bases, but we're talking high walk percentages, low K percentages. They drafted a bunch of these guys like three or four years ago, and Matos is one of those, and Casey Schmidt was one of those. I think Meckler's probably closer to Casey Schmidt. Maybe hitting two, there's going to be some run in RBI opportunities, but we're looking at a guy that has six career homers. He's got eight career um, stolen bases. Now that is this year and last year. So it's over two minor league seasons, but there's not a ton of power in the game. There's a lot of on base. This is an OBP guy, maybe down the line. This is like a Nimmo ish type of player, but I would say from like short term rest of season, I would probably have little to no interest. I would bet, I would bet you there's like a lot better, uh, a, a lot better prospects that you could not even just prospects, but overall players in redraft that you could be going towards. So it is fun. It's a new name. Maybe he gets on base a little bit, but I'm a pass on Meckler. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's amazing to me though, that he's projected to have a 25% strikeout rate Meckler. I mean, uh, we're talking about a guy who is running 15s and 16s in the minors. So let's say you give him more of an 18% strikeout rate. I do think he can hit, you know, 250, 260, but you know, one of the one of the more controversial things that I believe is that quality of contact is me- is meaningful for every type of player, you know, from the guys who have the least amount to the guys who have the most amount and that it describes uh, your upside. And so, uh, you know, I I was a little bit excited about Matos uh, until I saw that he really he hasn't even hit a ball 108 this year. 
Uh, so he has minus raw power, uh, minus game power that he's not getting to. Um, and I think Matos is the guy I'm still more excited about long term uh, yeah. because he has put up higher ISOs at least. So I'm, I'm hoping there's a, a 109 or a 110 in there that we can't see. Um, and uh, he also has stolen more bases than Meckler. So long term, I'm still more into Matos. If you uh, can sort of hold on to him, I might hold on to him. But I'm not that excited about either. And I, I just took a peek at the uh, season stat grid um, over on Fangraphs that shows, like, you know, taking a, a big leap in barrel rate. I wanted to see what kind of players added barrel rate in 2022 and how many of them held on to it. Of the top 10 guys who added barrel rate, uh, and, you know, the average of that is around 3% uh, to their barrel rate, um, eight of them lost barrel rate the next year. Uh, so the only people that added barrel rate in 2022 and added it again this year are, are Ryan McMahon and Aaron Judge uh, in that sort of top 10 to 12. And if you're talking about one of the biggest increases of barrel rate from one year to the next is 3%, right? That means Luis Matos could add 3% next year and still have a below average barrel rate next year. And he'd be one yeah. of the top 10 increasers in barrel rate. It's definitely a concern. I mean, I think he's listed at 5'11", 160. You've seen him in person. Is he is he actually bigger than that? Is he going to get bigger and stronger? I think that's part of the conversation for the long-term projection. But better real-life player than fantasy player might be part of the tagline on Luis Matos. You know, that could be part of the concern. And he was running really cold at the plate. Even though he's not striking out a lot, he's walking a little bit. A 32.4% hard hit rate underneath that barrel rate doesn't point to a lot of potential improvement, right? If you That's add that saying, 3%, like, like you said, 5% is just okay. It's contact still rate bottom without, third of the order without, here. Without powers is actually not that useful. I mean, it's yeah. it can look like this. They can they can knock the stick out of your hand. I mean, how many how many like weak rounders do you want? <laughs> no, I think I, when you're like when you're building in the like the type of player you want to bet on, I, I know what you're saying when you were saying, you know, the the quality of contact, but this is you were also alluding to like this is a guy that I think there's a lot of the pieces to work through and find improvement. I, I was thinking about when you were saying it, I was kind of thinking maybe in the um, imp- actual year to year improved barrel rate, maybe we would hear like, like Nupar. You know, if you were to hear like uh, Luis Matos was out working in similar ways with places like Driveline or taking that quality of contact that he's showing or his pitch recognition, maybe is a better way to put it because this is like, really low K percentages, which I love. So, I mean, he's going to find ways to make contact. It's just, what is that contact going to look like? You hope it can be optimized and it doesn't become like Ahmed Rosario. And then he can actually optimize it and get in the way of like a large new bar. He can run more. He can uh, hit, you know, more homers, 10 homers last year. He also was one of the most improved players in the AFL last year, turning on fastballs, getting inside, breaking pitches, um, really felt comfortable. And I think this is also one of those guys that once they find that comfort at a specific level is going to be able to turn it back on. Uh, before uh, 2022, before he hit high A, he had been hitting 300 at every single stop. And then that developmental high A is a big push. Like when you jump from A ball to high A, I think, that might be, arguably, I think that could be the biggest jump even from high A to double A. Well, he completely crashed his average, Matos but then he boosted back yeah. up. Yeah, Matos. We're talking about Matos. But then from high A to double A, he was able to completely rebound, went from 211 to 304 while cutting his strikeout percentage. So 
I think he's a very smart baseball player that takes time for adjustment. This might be a post-hype sleeper type of prospect. And I think he can actually be way more useful than we're even talking about right now. But this is all kind of under the crux of like, is Wade Meckler better? No, I think this is dip your. I think this is dip your toe time for a lot of teams. We're getting prospects that are being held back for September, and then we're going to get a lot of teams. Look at the Diamondbacks are doing. I know I did it. Sorry, I talked about them, but like they're just like everybody's garbage, and they're just sending them all down, and they're bringing up everybody. Here's Bryce Jarvis. You know anybody we can to try to get uh, some work. Dip this is what a lot of teams or, are going to like do. Try to catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah, who do we have? I mean, we Wade got Meckler's these twenty three hitting four hundred. So it's like, yeah, that's. If we if we get a guy had a guy who's hitting 350 in the major leagues, like we we, need, we could use that even if it has no power. Yeah, and and he might not be for the Arizona Fall League. You know, the Arizona Fall League is a place for teams to take sometimes these 23, 24. How does this guy fit into the organization? Do we Very want to protect to the them majors. from Rule Five? Yeah, close to the major. Sometimes it might be the next year they're going to make a big jump. You know, you get a high A guy that's going to go all the way through. I mean, you know, Matt Mervis last year started at high A and got all the way up to AFL and then the majors. That it's just kind of like let's learn about the players that have some type of either pop up from their production or might be on a roster bubble, even from 40 man that teams are looking at. And maybe the giants decided in this respect, let's see what it's at the majors. We've kind of seen what we need at this moment with Matos. And I think we can read a little bit too much into it. Sometimes when the guys get called up, like, Oh my gosh, 23 year old, two years in the system. Let's go. It's like, well, they might want to see, you know, what role can this guy play similar into Casey Schmidt, better real life player. I think, Meckler could be the better real life player than fantasy. I think Matos has a potential to match, but it just might take a little bit of time. Uh, one one piece of optimism might be that if you look in the top thirty for twenty twenty two barrel rate increases, and then you look for blue across the line, so somebody who added barrel rate slowly over time, you get some interesting names: Rymel Tapia, uh, Elvis Andrews, um, and Jose Altuve are all guys that made decent contact, had enough defense to stay on the field, um, and added power slowly over time. Good uh, K percentages. Well, I want to say Tapia did not. um, Was Andrus good? Andrus is okay, too. I mean, they're all at least averages type of, of, uh, of, of strikeouts. I mean, Matos would have the lowest strikeout rate of that group, but maybe he could fit into that group where he's just adding... A little bit of power over time peaks at 18 21 or something but you know gives us some nice 10 to 15s i mean it just i just don't see him as going past that in power yeah i, I think i'll put a bow on this by saying i think the longer term outlook for for matos would be that you know defensively can play center field playing time could be there throughout 2024 could just be solid for counting stats as a result of volume but then if you try to project the long-term ceiling I don't think a 10 to 12 home run season at the big league level is out of bounds based on what he was doing age to level. I mean, look more at double A than triple A, just given mm-hmm. the differences between those le- those leagues. He was so young for the level, even at double A this year. That's probably where the, the core skills that you want to project from really are at. Maybe it's 10 to 12 homers, 25 steals in his best years, good batting average, solid OBP. If that gets him to the top of the lineup over time, then it's a nice fantasy profile. It seems like a very good number third. two hitter for a Giants yeah. team in the future. Yep. Yeah. It's just kind of playing the long game and knowing that if you're in a more shallow format, especially he's going to be a very difficult player to roster until all of those things fall into place. I wonder if the profile is actually similar for 
Oslavis Basabe. He's getting some run at shortstop for the Rays right now with Wander Franco on the restricted list. It looks like speed and, and hit the hit tool are going to have to really kind of carry Basabe. And, and part of this is that Taylor Walls is hurt right now. I think Taylor Walls is pretty clearly the Rays' preferred backup shortstop, but he's down with an oblique injury. So Basabe got promoted on Sunday. He's going to play at least throughout this week, probably a bit longer. What do you see in this profile? Is this still short-term, more of a monoleague player and, and just kind of a, a watch list sort of guy in, in more shallow formats? I mean, what do you see from him, you know? I mean, this is, yeah, it's exactly along those lines, except that I just don't, you don't have the really upper end or, or really elite level uh, strikeout rates from uh, Basabe that you uh, did from Matos. Um, I think you have maybe even less uh, demonstrated power uh, I do see a 109.5 uh, from Basabe in AAA this year in 426 plate appearances. So the raw power, that's a number that we haven't seen yet uh, from Matos. So could be a little bit more raw power in there. And I do know that the Rays as an institution value hitting the ball hard very highly. I mean, you can just see it in all their acquisitions. They lead the league always in hitting the ball hard, not always in in barrels or lifting the ball, but hitting the ball hard is something they care about. And they've got, you know, Basabe up to a 40% hard hit rate in 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 2023. That's Fangraph's hard hit, uh, which is Statcast hard hit. I don't know the Rotowire one is uh I think it's slightly on a different scale somehow, but Maybe this is a guy who hits the ball hard just on the ground a ton, uh, in which case I would probably take his batting average over Matos in the short run, even if I take Matos's upside in the long run. But if he was going to play the rest of the year, what do you think Matos, uh, what do you think Basabe would do? I think he would hit maybe like 260, 275 with almost zero power, uh, maybe one or two or three homers, and maybe you get five or six stolen bases out of him. This is kind of an upside projection for Basabe, but he, I mean, I'm reading the tea leaves here. He may be, he may be the shortstop the rest of the way. I mean, walls, no, I, they may prefer yeah. walls as a backup shortstop, but that might also mean they prefer him as a backup. You know what I mean? I think this comes back into dipping your toes into seeing, you know, what, what do we have here? What do we have full on? I worry this is a ground ball guy. I actually saw him back in um, 2019. He was a Ranger. And I think it was that Rangers team that, anyone cares but they won like you know the complex league championship and it had like edbert uh um not edbert perez Her- uh, herberto perez. hernandez no. uh, herberto hernandez herberto was there hernandez. big hard hit numbers who the rays also acquired um and quite a few players i think maybe even Leo tavares was on it but either way um my my problem with him is been ground ball uh he doesn't pull he's kind of an all-fields hitter he's a big ground ball hitter he's had a 50 Almost a fifty-five plus a really um, big ground ball rate. He had a yeah, sixty-two at, at, in a, in April. <laughs> yeah, it's been over fifty percent. Um, it's actually ne- it's been over fifty-three percent at every level since two thousand and one. He has one level had a fifty percent pull rate. You can add one more, or one, I guess, two more into the forty. So it's like low pull. It's um, bad power in general. And I'm just not a, I'm not a Basabi guy. I, I don't, I think um, the profile that came to mind is Luis Garcia with the Nationals, you know, mm. because Luis but Garcia, Garcia has had better max EVs, like has better raw power. And I think but that's been, my point. Yeah. You just, you just said that uh, we've seen Basabi with a 109s. I've seen, I've watched BP sessions where, um, where Luis Garcia is mashing balls. But then what happens when he gets into game? 
hits across his body, ground ball, all fields approach that can't tap into the power. And that's kind of what I see. He's a little bit oh, more of a stolen base option, but this is not like, again, this is not a profile that I lock into unless they start to lock into something else. And you said it like, I think they value the max EVs, but I think bigger EVs, unless they start to make sure that this guy can lift the ball, I think well, what they're doing is they're maximizing somebody that hits the ball on the ground a bunch. And if you have big, hard hit, you have the potential for errors. You have the potential to shoot them in and the gaps and stuff like that. I just don't know. Are they training this guy to try to become more of a power hitter? Or is this just maximizing his ground ball approach? And I don't want a ground ball approach guy. Yeah. I don't know if you feel any different in here. So if you're taking a peek at Taylor walls and like Taylor walls is like the exact opposite of Basabe. Like he's not hitting the ball hard. Uh, but when he does, he does lift it a lot better. <laughs> well, we've seen some off. We've seen some like good offensive output from Taylor Walls before. That's I think nice. Taylor Walls is the guy. I think. I mean, I think it's kind of clear that the situation of let's get a look at Basabi, but also it's pretty clear like why he's here. I'm not sure it's to Still be like a big a ways feature. Away says Kevin Cash on Taylor Walls on eight nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, looks like it is Basabe's job for the foreseeable future in Tampa Bay. Let's talk about Colton Kowser. We were excited about Kowser when he got promoted. He's been optioned to AAA. It was a corresponding move for the return of Aaron Hicks. Similar contact quality issues to Matos as far as the lack of barrels goes, but we did see a nice hard hit rate, 42.5%. Very different approach than Matos with a K rate just under 30% and a really nice walk rate up over 16%. Welsh, I think if I remember correctly, you were pretty optimistic about Kowser. This is probably a great long-term window to trade for him if you're in a league where you can hold him. But does it, is anything changing based on your first look at Kowser at the big league level? I'm pretty... Um... I tr I try not to be insanely reactive to first runs because we can go back to all the old tropey ones like Mike Trout was blah 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 uh. in his first whatever. So I don't like <laughs> to get like insanely reactive. I will say if I were to pick like the most worrisome thing in that early debut was the barrel percentage was two and a half percent for Colton Kowser, which is like you could obviously lock that up to like readjusting to major league pitching and trying to find your bat. And he had a better expected batting average, but he hit 111, you know, so it's pretty hard to have, you know, any worse. So it was expected 205. That has me worried a little. I've always liked his approach, though. I think he's got real power. He might be a little bit better from uh, the real life perspective than fantasy, but I don't think it was out of mind to say that this could have been a 15 15 guy. So I think from a long term perspective, I actually would be very cool if I'm out of it trying to make a trade, maybe in the offseason, try to get him for dirt nothing because it was a really horrid debut. But even in that awful barrel percentage, you saw right, right around a 108 max EV. He was still hard hit percentage was over 40%. I mean, there's a few things I suppose to be encouraged about. This team has also um, done a great job of readjusting these prospects. And we saw Gunnar Henderson make some real serious changes throughout an entire season that Colton Kowser didn't get to fully see. So I don't think um, we should be done with him, but I definitely think maybe my optimism was a little too extreme. I had to lower him in my prospect ranks because like the trend is going in a really bad direction, but the difference between how I lower someone and I think some other people will lower them is probably quite different. You could see Colton Kowser's debut and be like, okie dokie, we were 
top 25 prospect. Now we're outside the top 100 where I go, all right, we were top 15. Now let's move you outside the top 25 and let's kind of readjust into there. But I think there's still a very good future for Colton Kowser with the Orioles. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I think this is the challenge of breaking in on a crowded depth chart on a team that is playing for you know, first round bye. Yeah, you playoffs. don't produce, you got to go. Yeah, you're going to have smaller windows to, to prove that you can contribute right now. It doesn't necessarily mean the long term outlook has changed a whole lot. I think that sort of adjustment on the prospect list makes a lot of sense. Let's keep it rolling. Let's get to Vaughn Grissom. You know, we have Ozzy Albies on the IL as the corresponding move. Projections are still solid for Vaughn Grissom, albeit with limited power. AAA numbers are pretty good. Do you think he's still capable of unlocking more power? I mean, we're talking about a guy who's still really young for the level. Scouting grades suggest he'll eventually get to some sort of like league average sort of pop. A few success stories, of course, in Atlanta of players getting a lot better over time in the big leagues there. So, where do you fall on Grissom? Because you know, we know that the defensive limitations might be something that bump him in and out of the lineup. And he's only playing right now because Alves is hurt. But is he going to hit enough to play somewhere else on this team? You know, this is not something we think we talk about very often. Um, but I'm just going to mention it because Grissom and Kowser are both relevant to the discussion. Line drive rate. And the reason we don't talk about it, I think, is because as an industry, we've said, well, that's one of the noisiest stats out there. You know, it's uh, often done by stringers. And if it's done by a stringer, it is, uh, I mean, it is done by stringers uh, as line drive rate. It's unless you have a stat cast to find one. But so line drive rate is defined by stringers. And what they happens is they see a ball. And if it's a hit, it was a line drive. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I mean, you can play that game when you watch a game. Just watch a game and try to decide what a line drive is, and it's almost impossible. You know, especially when you start talking about line drives in the infield, line drives in the outfield. Like, where does that line drive to the outfield become a fly ball? You know, all that stuff. But I was thinking about this when I was looking at Colton Kowser because uh, his ground ball rates are not what we would call worrisome. There's only one over 50% for Colton Kowser. But when I was looking at his fly ball rates, I'm like, why are his fly ball rates so low? So Colton Kowser's fly ball rates are like 22, 25, 29. Those are pretty low fly ball rates. And so I thought, let me just go over here while they're all talking and do a line drive rate for AAA uh, with at least 200 plate appearances. And there is Colton Kowser, number 17th with a 30% line drive rate. 
Uh, and there's Von Grissom uh, at 38th with a 28% line drive rate. Now, it is not bad to hit line drives. There's no way you can convince me it is, but it also doesn't stick that well. I mean, Cole Calhoun is third here with a 34% line drive, right? Fourth is Brett Phillips. Fifth is David Fletcher telling you, well, you could hit a line drive and not hit the ball hard and still not be that great of a player. You know what I mean? Um, so line drive rate is not something that I want to put my money on, but it is also tells you a little bit about Colton Kowser ran 300 batting averages with 23, 25% strikeout rates. I think it does speak a little bit to hit tool. You got a 40, 45 hit tool on Colton Kowser. I think maybe that's low on, on, on fan graphs. And then when you go over port over to Von Grissom, uh, you get a 20 present hit tool, 45 future. So they don't think much of his hit tool either, but yet these are two guys that are top 40 in line drive rate in AAA this year. So I'm not saying that I have a easy takeaway point here, um, but I would say that maybe we're underrating the hit tool for Colton Kowser and Von Grissom. Um, and maybe we've gone too far as an industry away from line drive rate. Uh, because this is like literally the first time I've looked at line drive rate on a leaderboard in five, 10 years. <laughs> um, and maybe that's, uh, some part of the magic here for, for Grissom and Kowser is that, uh, maybe they do have some sort of a line drive stroke that's going to help them, uh, keep better batting averages than they're projected for, um, Mostly when you look at Grissom and Kowser, you are impressed by their batting averages above all else. And I really feel that way about Kowser, by the way, about what you're saying. I, I don't know if I felt quite that way about Grissom, except to your point, Grissom is a much better uh, strikeout guy than Kowser is. And he only had yeah. a, he had a 15% line drive rate in the majors that he's registered this year. 15%. So coming back to it's your point. It's a little point, less like, extreme for Grissom in that, uh, he has similar ground ball rates to Colton Kowser, but his fly ball rates are actually higher than Colton Kowser's. Uh, yeah. So I don't think that he's necessarily filling up on line drives every year uh, the same way Kowser was. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think that the industry, or at least Fangraphs in this case, uh, thinks that highly of either hit tool. Uh, I think it's a little bit more obvious when you look at Von Grissom's line that maybe his hit tool is a little better than his scouting grade. Yeah, I, I think that's sort of been borne out now in the numbers, but I, I wonder, so Orlando Arcia has been better than people expected this year. No doubt about that. He's held that spot down. He's 14% better than league average. He's like 28 years old. You can see because they extended him, the Braves extended Arcia. They gave him a three-year, $7.3 million deal. And I think there are still people that were like, wait, why'd they do that? Well, that looks pretty sharp right now. Yeah, I think they if were they, doing that to be the utility guy, but you know. Yeah, and they, and that's that's not a guarantee of future playing time, but it just means he's there. And the the bar is to, to be a good enough defensive shortstop and to be at least as good of a hitter. It's pretty clear what Grissom has to do if he wants to claim that spot. You know, Albies isn't going anywhere, so then unless he hits enough to be in the rotation or at least force a rotation for DH. That's the other sort of problem that Grissom runs into. He just seems very blocked as far as the long-term value goes. You know, I think short-term, maybe you could plug him back in as your middle infielder in a 15-team league, but that power, it might not be just around the corner. It might be a few years away if it's going to happen at all. I think when you look at contact quality and low K rates, you see enough to project more, 
But are we talking 15 homer seasons at Grissom's peak? Or do you think there's more than that based on things you've seen at other levels? There might be more at it. You know, I was also looking just as a, as a funsy here. One of the things that stands out about his last major league run was um, cutting the soft hit percentage down. So, you know, we, we focus on like what kind of contact he can make. He had an 18% uh, soft contact percentage in his first debut in 2022, down to 13% this last time. This He's is not Grissom? pulling the ball at all. This is Grissom. He's not pulling the ball at all, um, which is definitely part of the problem, but you could see where the fix is. It's 13.2%. And I went and looked, that would put him inside the top 50 of the least soft hit percentage. And based on that medium contact percentage, which is 64, that would put him in line with, I mean, it looks a little bit more Stephen Quanish, uh, Andrew Benintendi, but there are, you know, some other similar players in there like Tim Anderson. I mean, Corbin Carroll, Corbin Carroll runs a, hard, a higher hard hit percentage, but Anthony Volpe is in there. So just an interesting look. If, if you're looking at like the, the, the full contact isn't there, but the quality of it, is still uh, is, is, is has a lot of potential to bounce back where he's making a better medium and hard hit contact percentage in general if he can just find those barrels and he can adjust and pull the ball a little bit, get it in the air. I just say all of those little things are part of this recipe of like, why do we buy back in? Why are there post-hype sleepers? Why do we buy back into these players? Because the talent's there. I agree with Eno. I think the hit tool grades are too low. I think he is a he's a guy that you should target in fantasy in general because he steals a bunch of bases. And I think there's 10 to 15 homer power at least if he gets an opportunity. But he didn't get it because it was all about defense and positional. And he never got that opportunity to play and in the outfield because that team is too stacked. From what I hear, like, you know, Ron Washington doesn't think he can be a shortstop. And Ron Washington is the guy in the end. The man. I mean, yeah. he's the guy who's yeah. going to make you a shortstop if he believes in you. He made Marcus Simeon into a shortstop because he believed in Marcus Simeon. And he doesn't, I don't, from what I gather, does not have that same belief for Vaughn. So I don't think, I think the middle infield is out. Uh, but a piece of, of more upbeat news is uh, Marcelo Zuna's not going to be a Brave next year. And uh, they have a team option, but I just don't see them picking up that big of an option for a guy who's been that bad. And even as he's been good this year, Marcelo Zuna hasn't been that great. You know, I don't think he's worth, you know, 12, 15 million. I haven't looked at exactly what the option is, but he was paying, being paid about that. So I think they let uh, him go. And if they let him go, that means that there's a bit of an opportunity uh, for the Braves in the outfield. And I think you get the sort of short-term boost where you get uh, a guy who's playing in the outfield but is eligible in the middle infield uh, I think, you know, Eddie Rosario, the team has an option on. It's uh, a cheaper option, so they may keep him around. But, uh, you know, with how up and down Eddie Rosario has been, I think there's a non-zero chance that Grissom sort of gen uh, gently beats him out or pushes Rosario to DH. I mean, there's, there's, there's an opportunity on that Braves team next year. It's in the outfield. I think Grissom can get it. And they have not taken the opportunity to trade Grissom in any of these deals off season, you know, trade deadline. So I have a feeling that they are keeping him for the bat and they are going to find a position for him. And it'll probably be in the outfield in this off season. I just saw games played so far this season. Grissom had 19 games in the big leagues earlier in the year. 
all of them at shortstop, one short of qualifying in leagues that require 20. <laughs> that one game could be elusive. We'll see if he finds his way into that lineup at that spot one more time this year. Otherwise, and not it could much, be. And no outfield play. Uh, no outfield play in the minors this year. Yeah, he's yeah, played it was all short. practice stuff, crazy. Short like twice as much as he played second at AAA, but playing both middle infield spots still. Uh, during his time, I wondered about that if that was about building the trade value. That's why I was so shocked mm-hmm. that he wasn't moved at the deadline. Because mm-hmm. if if you were trying to find a spot for him at some point, you would think at least split it up, get him in the outfield. Why would you not do that if you, if Ron Washington and the team truly doesn't believe he can be a shortstop? Well, it would probably be about building up trade value, and a shortstop is just exponentially going to be probably more valuable unless they put him in center. And I always thought that that was going to happen. And he was actually one of the more like surprising players not moved at the deadline just based on need this is definitely a thing the guardians do by the way play guys at shortstop to build a trade value that is 100 percent. yeah it's a thing it's 100 percent of a thing i mean it's the same thing as why if you pay attention to the international market and free agents guess what 70 percent of the players are shortstops you don't see second (laughs) basemen you here's what you see you see center fielders you see shortstops and catchers there's three positions when you're 16 years old in the international market because that you know there's a buildup of value when you're playing at those spots and you know athleticism young enough to stick since he survived Um, i kind of think i wouldn't be surprised if we see it i just you know the way rc is playing i think you can you can play him at shortstop i i don't think they seemed i mean 19 games maybe there's internally a debate i mean this could be another thing maybe internally there's a debate about whether or not he can be shortstop but the, i don't think the numbers uh suggest he can't be really one more game that's all we're asking for, <laughs> well, for the fantasy hey, community in the next few days it could happen Arcia. yeah know, could he get like moved over then yeah, yeah. What, but what if he like slid over in the game that should count right that would be games game, not started. games started Games played by position versus game started. I want to say a lot of sites use games played, mm. at least for in-season requirements. Is it? Well, I mean, I guess not Yahoo. Well, site. don't you remember the, the Yahoo famous where Anthony Rizzo had slid over on shift, uh, on yeah. shifts and they gave him second base eligibility because of where he shifted? And that's Yahoo. Yahoo's the wild, wild west. They're like, pew, pew, pew. You get a position, everybody. But uh, I, I guess it is game started. So cross your fingers. Marcus Colston at tight end, leaving baseball and going to football for 15 <laughs> seconds is an all-timer from Yahoo it's as like well. My last bit of fantasy football knowledge there. I know the joke. <laughs> we, got, we got back to Eno's time playing fantasy football. I'm glad that one landed. Uh, let's get into checking in on the rookie pitchers. We talked about a few guys yesterday. Uh, one of our listeners asked us about Tanner Bybee and Gavin Williams, Bryce Miller and Bobby Miller, and where they might be at with their respective workloads compared to previous seasons. So I thought, it might be beneficial to talk about the rest of this rookie class on this Tuesday episode. Uh, the other Guardians pitcher, since we started with two of the Guardians yesterday, is Logan Allen. He's at 111 and two-thirds so far this season. Went to 132 and change last year. That was about a 21-inning increase. I guess the, the broader philosophical question here is, how much do you want to glean from an individual's previous increases within the organization how much does that matter? Because there's so many other factors that could be in play. Like if you had a minor injury, maybe the team wanted you to throw 40 more innings, but you only threw 20 because you were hurt, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the cap for that pitcher or all pitchers in that organization. So I feel like we're just still playing that guessing game. The guessing game we play each and every year. The organizational philosophy is internal, and we can try and project and guess based on things we know from the outside, but that's all we're doing. We're taking our best guess, like, I would look at Logan Allen and say 160 is definitely in play. 
And if that's the case, he's got about 50 innings left in the tank for the rest of the regular season. So you figure five or six innings per start, that's like eight to nine starts pretty easily still being in play, which gets us pretty far. That gets us almost to the last, what, last week of the season if he starts eight or nine more times? I think so. I think that gets us there. That's it. That's interesting, the... Um... The 50, for whatever reason, as soon as you said 50 starts, I was thinking, man, 50 starts is going to get us there. It's 100% good. When you broke it down based on innings, and if we've got nine starts, nine starts probably gets us to like early September. So in like a head-to-head, maybe maybe you are losing out in a guy like Logan Allen. I'm not sure... I'm not sure how we're going to step out of all of this, by the way, more philosophically, these pitchers, because like I thought what the Marlins were doing with Yuri Perez was going to be to build up this back-end value um, that, you know, hey, you're going to sit him for a month and then you're going to build up all these innings so he can compete. But then now he's been put on these, like, strict pitch counts where it was, like, 80 pitches, couldn't get to the fifth. And I think from a redraft standpoint, that's really changed his value rest of season on those strict pitch counts. It seems like the Guardians are a bit more... I don't know. They're being a little bit more liberal about it. Like they're open to more interpretation of these guys going like, I, we haven't, I haven't really seen anything capped on Bybee. And I'm not sure even saying like we could realistically get to one six. I don't know if they would slow it down. I think how they build these pitchers, they work these pitchers. They're going to, they can press him to the very end. And I'm not sure that's the best thing for him ultimately, but um, I don't know. He's kind of a little bit lower in the pack, even though the season's been pretty good. It's been a three five five ERA, but he's got a full run expected higher um, uh, uh, expected ERA. If you're paying attention to any of that, I think overall whiffs have been decent, but the changeup has had the primary whiff stuff. Fastball's been okay, so I'm a little bit indifferent. He's lower on the rung, uh, ring for me for Logan Allen. Yeah, I think there's some some limitations that we've seen so far this year, and how much how much more development is there? He's He's already 24. Like, is he he's 25 in just a few weeks? Is he a finished product? Is what you see what you get in the case of Allen? Compared to, I think with Bybee and Williams, I feel like there's still one more level. I'm less sure of that with Logan Allen. Yeah, I think. Well, also, I wonder, like, with what do they do with those type of pitchers? Like, look at Savali. And there's my point. Like, so they gave up on Savali. Now, maybe you can argue it's like, how they did it, they didn't want to, and everyone's kind of crying about it and stuff like that. For Manzardo, I made they a big deal. The hitter, you know, you know, I mean, and that could be part of it. And they were like, "Oh man, we really are reluctant to get rid of him." But I think you can, as much as there are the success stories with the Guardians, I, I wonder what what their struggle with is on that back end. Like Plesac didn't work out. Savali, you could argue, didn't. yeah, you can't I mean, say I, that. I know like, they, they're great at developing pitchers, but they definitely like make mistakes. I mean. So I'm just wondering like where the gap is because I mean, Gavin Williams is so naturally talented. Like that guy was going to be a star. Something was untapped with Tanner Bybee. Williams and Bybee are the, are, are the aces. And you know, I, I get from Allen, I, I like him, but I get a, uh, we're going to maximize his, his outputs without really thinking, caring too much about the future, like introducing a cutter, you know, and, and then relying heavily on it. It's like a Cal Quantrill thing. You know what I mean? It's like, well, a, that's what I was going to ask you. He's is not an amazing pitcher, but we want him to succeed now. So like, hey, let's max you out now and not worry so much about your future. You know? Well, I'd say, okay, so that's what worries. That's it. You actually like, you just got to kind of where I was going with that. Like, yeah. do you think this is a like, all right, let's get everything we have out of it. Or what would be the thing with a guy like Logan Allen that you think it should change? I mean, he was primarily fastball sweeper, change up under 10% usage of cutter and slider. 
the slider had pretty good, at least underlying numbers. Batting average is low against. The highest whiff rate of any pitch he, th- he throws. Is there something that you think this team would need to change to make him take that next step? Because I think we're all saying, like, I don't know what that next step is with Logan Allen. I don't see it. Well, when he you know first came into the league, his uh, stuff plus numbers were much better, and it's really pretty simple. Uh, when he was first uh, pitching at the beginning of the season, uh, he was sitting 93. Uh, and since he came back from the IL, he's sitting 91. Uh, there's even a game here where he's sitting 90. So... Um, I think the the thing with him is I think this, you know, one of the big things that they do at the Guardians is kind of like, you know, you're a soft tossing guy with good command, some good secondaries. Let's get your velo up. And uh, I don't I don't know if that's sticking with him. So, I mean, if I heard next spring that Logan Allen's velo is up, I would buy uh, more heavily into him. Let me ask you this. Who would you rather have? Everyone's going to gasp Logan Allen or Brandon Fott fought yeah it's yeah. fought for me okay i just saying no yeah i mean the doubt. stroms change with him moving on the rubber has been just like night and day for him as far as like utilizing what you throw and making you better and i guess logan allen hasn't had the didn't have the struggles obviously that like fought had but like we, we we've seen a night and day change with fought and it's i feel like allen has just been kind of like in coasting median line median line so unless they and have like a big raw pitch and the, just the the raw is better for fought, I think, you know? Yeah. I was there yeah, at that Giants sleeper. game and uh, that he pitched recently. And I thought, you know, I remember seeing some 96s and I feel like a 97. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, he pumps 96. I think he's been sitting like 94, 95. I mean, the fastball's there. But like Strom, when they moved him on the rubber, it it has now made that a viable pitch. No one was swinging outside of that. If that thing didn't touch the zone, it was never being swung at. Now it's being swung at. People are actually swinging at it on that move. 
The sweeper's been better, and now he has a comfort level, I guess, of where he's moved to throwing the changeup more. So, uh, but I think like yeah, six weeks ago, like that would have been a silly question. It would have been Logan Allen by a million miles for people. But I think Logan Allen to me is kind of a capped talent pitcher, uh, still very good. And maybe, like I said, maybe the slider usage, maybe seeing more of a slider would be a, a big benefit to him down the line. But I think the upside lives in a lot. A lot of these names that you have here, uh, DVR, there's a lot of upside pitchers. You could ask the same thing about uh, Tosh Bradley. Tosh Bradley has gone through, he's gone through the ringer. You know, would you rather have the, the floor of what Logan Allen is or the ceiling of Tosh Bradley? I'm usually playing for the ceiling when yeah. we're looking at these young Logan pitchers Bradley's because there. Yeah. if the adjustment can be as... <laughs> I don't want to oversimplify it. If, if if moving on the rubber, if doing something like that can unlock everything for someone who has talent like Brandon Fott, then I would bet on the talent because it, it just changes on a dime once that adjustment finally kicks in or once they figure out what adjustment needs to be made. The other thing I like about Fott, and this is why I had him in so many places and why I was so excited about him back in April, he threw 167 innings last year between AA and AAA. He's in veteran workload mode. They don't have to worry about shutting him down to preserve, you know, his arm for next year. Like he's just he's already fully stretched out that way. And since rejoining the rotation, twenty nine to six strikeout to walk in his last twenty nine innings. It spans five starts. Got at least five innings in four of those five starts. The only exception being the Dodgers, which hey, look, the Dodgers get everybody. So uh, it really looks like Fott's starting to build up some momentum that might make him a kind of a. A trendy later round riser once we get to the draft season for 2024. Yeah. You mentioned Bradley. We should talk about Bradley for a bit. Well, just Bradley got go ahead. Well, just really quickly, you know, like uh, taking a look at uh, rookie starters by fastball stuff plus is almost a great proxy for how I feel about them. It goes Bradley, Bobby Miller, Yuri Perez, Bryce Miller, Grayson Rodriguez, you know. Gavin Williams, you know, that's and the next names, you know, I have stopped here. Arbitrary endpoints. I did stop at (laughs) six. Luis Medina's next. It was just an obvious flaw with Luis Medina. You know what I mean? So he's shown flashes more recently, though, of ironing out some of those control issues. And as soon as I got excited about him, he came out and had a bad start, walked a bunch of guys and (laughs) gave up some runs. Uh, But clearly 98 stuff plus on the four seam. Uh, Logan Allen, eighty-three stuff plus in the four seam. Just about That's to ask why you, I brought you... up the cutter because I'm like, the what has, what's already happening is an admission, an admission that his fastball is not great, and so that we need another hard pitch. And when your fastball isn't great, you know, like I like Cal Bradish, but you know, when your fastball isn't great, then you have to. There's going to be stumbling points. It's going to take a while to like figure it out, and you, you, I think you cap your upside. You just you have only a certain amount of things you can do. The old pitcher tricks, which is throw your fastball less, throw a cutter. You know what I mean? It's like throw your slider forty percent of the time. So there's 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 not that much they they can do. Whereas Taj Bradley is going to start with this superhuman fastball, and could he you know tweak the curveball grip? Could he te- tweak the changeball grip? Like there's like a bunch of different things he could he throw a sweeper. You know, like there's a bunch of stuff he hasn't tried yet. And not to keep extending this. Yeah. Wanted to ask you real quick, you know, I remember at the beginning of the year, we were looking at Fott's, uh stuff plus on the fastball, and I believe it was in the 80s. I, I want to say you pulled some 80s on there. I wonder but if it wasn't if, altitude adjusted. Remember, that was the whole discussion. You no, know, I agree with that. But I, what I'm curious about, even taking the altitude adjustment, has there 
what rookie pitcher has seen the biggest increase of stuff plus on their fastball from AAA to the majors? I mean, mm. he might be the number. That's not something I can ask here, and we could probably find the answer really quick, but I wonder if he's the biggest increase of stuff plus in the minors to the majors we've seen on the fastball, especially if you account to the recent fought starts with the new rubber adjustment, not the old ones. I would bet you he's got to be at the top of the leaderboard, um, obviously accounting for, but the, I don't know. The altitude adjustments, like there are other pitchers in there that might be more aligned. So he might be one of the biggest increases. Yeah. He's up to 99. I mean, I think he was not remotely close to that early in the year in AAA, yeah. altitude or not. What are you guys doing with Taj Bradley in redraft leagues? We're in a stretch of schedule for the Rays right now. They have an off day between their two series this week. So they're off Thursday, off Monday. They don't need a fifth starter until next weekend. It'll be a turn against the Yankees at the Trop. They could throw Erasmo Ramirez, or they could bring back Cooper Criswell. We've talked about all the, the bulk guys they throw, but... Are you looking at the adjustments Bradley's made, the growing pains he's gone through, the flashes of success he's had at the big league level and occasionally even at AAA this year too, even though he's trying to make adjustments while he's pitching down there? Are you looking at all that and saying, I'm holding him through these troubles because the final month of the season might be really good? Reason being, he's thrown 133 and a third innings last year. They gave him a 30-inning bump to that number, so we're probably looking at another 65 innings from him before he hits his cap. They have to think about the postseason, too, but they also have to make sure they get there. It's a lot to unravel, but do you see enough good in the changes through all the struggles to believe in Taj Bradley and to keep holding him while waiting for this next opportunity? I'll let Nino get deep into it, but for redraft, I'm going to say no. I'm... I would move on. Uh, it, frankly, I've presented this in a couple other spots. I love Yuri Perez, but if you're in shorter leagues with the inning caps, I think in some of those leagues in re, in redraft specifically, you could probably move on into you know finding other streamers or something like that. Taj is a no go for me. It's been bad post All Star break six seven five ERA pre All Star break five four three. His WHIP one point five zero to one three nine gotten worse. Uh, it, when you look at the game log as well, it just he's gone five, I think, in only three of his last five starts. He's given up three or more earned runs. And remember, he's only gone five in three of those. In four of those five starts, a lot of walks, strikeouts are there. He's inconsistent. He's working through it. This is not what I want at this point of the season. It doesn't help you in Roto. The upside's not worth it. And in head-to-head, I think this could be a playoff disaster. I'm a huge buy on Taj Bradley for next year in keeper dynasty. I would love to take him off of someone's hands, especially a competing team. If I'm not give me Taj Bradley for a full off season of readjustments and improvement. So then, you know, he can then go have Tommy John next year. Cause uh, he's a race pitcher, but I will buy Taj Bradley for the off season. I'm not interested in redraft anymore. You know, he hasn't been pitching as long as a lot of other people. So I, I, I get that. Uh, sense that you know maybe yeah it'll take some time but i'm still in for this year my uh, reasoning is is such uh he had uh, 134 innings last year and uh he's at 97 now so i think he has uh, all the innings he wants the rest of the season um and i think that the the rays will need him uh if not 
uh, in that fifth starter spot, uh, you know, in terms of, yeah, could they fudge their way through the rest of the season without him in that fifth starter spot? For sure they could. Uh, but more in terms of you're looking at this uh, roster, if it's going to have uh, a, de- a deficit in the lineup in, in the in the postseason, um, you know, at shortstop, then they're going to need to win a lot of games three to one. And I would rather have Taj Bradley uh, as part of my A team for the playoffs, even if it's in two innings which means I need to have Bradley stretched out to a certain point. I need him pitching in the major leagues leading up to the playoffs. So I see a story where he's going to pitch uh, in the major leagues through September. I think he's going to be mostly a starter as they keep him stretched out. And uh, the last thing I'll say is, uh, other than Stuff Plus, he has a top 10 uh, strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, and a 30% strikeout rate is a catnip to me. So... Um, I know the homers have been an issue and uh, it hasn't been looking great, but this to me looks like a package that could change on a dime, especially since he's still striking people out on that level. 16 yeah. starts. You know how many quality starts he has DVR? Well, I, you know, quality starts. Oh, I'm just, four. I know. I mean, I'm just throwing it out. Going don't, six. Don't, don't, don't put a ray on your team in quality starts. Yeah. Well, I'm just yeah. saying, I'm just throwing this out. <laughs> Do you know how many? Probably three at most. One. Yeah, the one. Yeah. He's gone six innings, one in sixteen starts this year. It's yeah. I mean, it's Blake Snell all over again and uh, back in the day. But yeah, I, I, I again, it's the stuff is awesome. He's freaking awesome. He definitely will have all of it. I just question all of those starts that he has. How many of them help your fantasy and team? How much like you, really how help much your you fantasy want it this team? Year, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, they, I, it's only a this year thing. I'm I know, all I have that bias towards keeper laser. I'm like, no, this guy's obviously good, and he'll be good eventually, and probably that totally. eventually be this year. But it's not always this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think the the constant tension, the most difficult thing in our game, is balancing short term value in production against long term ceiling. So when you're sitting there in your league, I think the decision I had in one league this weekend was Taj Bradley or Reese Olson. You cut one of these guys from your roster. It's a 15-team league. I think in a 15-teamer, mm-hmm. waiting it out with Taj is more palatable than trying to wait it out in a 10 or a 12, where there are viable pitchers available, Agreed. at least compared to a 15. But Reese Olsen is interesting because 96 and two-thirds innings thrown so far. He threw 119 and two-thirds for a career high last year. You give him 50 more innings, and he's still less than plus 30 from last year's total. So he doesn't look like he's going to get shut down more than you know, a start or two before the end of the season. looks like Olsen's good to go. He actually has a really good whip compared to pre- previous results at all of the minor league stops, a 1-1-4 whip. ERA is up over four, near the mid-fours at 4.45. We just saw a nice start last time out against the Twins. Uh, so what's the realistic expectation for Olsen, which of those ratios is a better indication of what you're likely to get from him the rest of the way? We love the ballpark. Right? Comerica is a great pitcher-friendly ballpark. Plenty of strikeouts. But like, I almost wonder if Reese Olsen's better than Taj Bradley for the rest of the season because there's less waiting around. Even though I don't think anyone here would consider Reese Olsen over Taj Bradley in a keeper dynasty league. It wouldn't even be a debate. I feel like he has that. Um, he's got the, the the 2023 unlocked cheat code of a pitcher early on. He's like heavy slider. You know, his, his primary pitch has been slider, 32%. Weight. He's got a 42% whiff rate. The only problem is, is I just don't know how like elongated that's going to be when your fastball is 
I'm using, I don't want to use like suboptimal to be like it's trash or anything like that, but uh, it's got a 16% whiff rate. He is throwing it around 95. It's got a 172 batting average, but a 266 expected on it. Strikeouts are under that 9K per nine. I just think Reese is like, oh, here's what I th- I think you could look at uh, a streaming option and you could see Taj Bradley and Reese Olsen. And if Reese Olsen even even has the slightest edge of a decent matchup, I would play him over Bradley. Yeah, I would play him. I would play him over Bradley in that all season long. I would not be shocked if he is more valuable, but it's it's a much worse offense. Um, And it's just going to probably have to be me digging in. Like, what are what are the potential starts he has over the next five? If I was committing to him season long over Bradley, because you painted it like in a 15 team, I probably would maybe go the upside of Bradley because both of these players potentially can just end out the season. I would rather probably play on bigger stuff. Uh, though, if you throw in a third mix here of giving me like a veteran pitcher that's sitting out there, I'm going to, you know, I don't Nick Pavetta is not going to be out there, but I had one just the other day where we was talking, talking about this. I'd probably rather go in that realm of veteran pitchers that are playing up than playing the upside of either one of these guys, especially one that's on like a poorish Tigers team. Uh, like if you look at uh, just most recently, Olsen's fastball has been playing even more down with a, a stuff plus than the 70s in, in the last two weeks. Um, but uh, for the full season, a larger sample, Olsen has actually had above average locations, uh, which surprises me and gives me a little bit of that Hunter Brown S vibe. And I asked Hunter Brown why his uh, why his walk rates uh were worse than the minors and why he got these bad command grades. And, you know, he said, sometimes it can be as simple as like working with the major league coaching team and the major league catchers, the major league catchers are the best catchers in your organization. Um, and you better have a sense of which pitches you can use to get back into counts and, uh, how to sort of deploy your arsenal better. Um, and, uh, this is a guy who has decent raw stuff in terms of at least his secondaries, his, his, his uh his slider and changeup both rate excellently and his curveballs at least average. So uh, I think all the pieces are there, but long term, uh Olsen's fastballs are not that good. I'm pretty sure of that. I think I agree with uh Welsh on that. And so you've got a guy who's got good secondaries in a good park. Long term I easily take Bradley over that. But short term, if you're looking at matchups and it's like especially if it's like Bradley in New York versus Olsen against Cleveland in Detroit, it's like Exactly. That one's pretty easy. I'll take Olsen. Yeah, yeah. You got to watch out for those those teams in division for Taj as you try to play it out in the stretch run. Uh, you mentioned Hunter Brown. You know, career high in innings was last year, one twenty six and a third. He's about to pass that though at one twenty three and a third so far this year. This one's one of the more complicated rookie workloads to think about because I imagine the Astros want him to be part of that rotation come playoff time. So it's not necessarily about not having enough innings left. Uh, overall, but just needing some of those innings in October, which means they could back off him for a little while. How do you think they go about it? Is this a case where they say, hey, JP France, we're going to burn off all of your innings before the playoffs and we're going to scale care back on Brown much. and then we're going to ramp him back up? <laughs> well, yeah, it's like you, you 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 would rather overwork JP France than Hunter Brown if you're thinking about long-term value, which feels terrible to say, but I, I would imagine that's kind of part of their internal thinking right now or even uh if you're just thinking about the playoffs you'd you'd rather have brown in the you know in that uh rotation than france and france is already 
you know, who was it that they, when they added Verlander, like the next appearance that France had was uh, out of the bullpen. Um, and then right, they, they got Arcidi back too. Yeah. And then they started talking about maybe uh, a six man rotation. Is that, is that, a, is that enough to, to keep Brown's numbers down? I think they could do something like that because you got Verlander, Fromber, Hunter Brown, Javier, Urquidy, and France all healthy right now. So you have six healthy starters if you want to deploy all of them. The dumb thing about that is that it's going to cost you a Justin Verlander start or a Fromber start, which you'd rather have your best pitcher start. You know, could you could you pair Brown and Javier or something and try to get the most out of them in smaller samples? The, the, the trick is you still need Brown to be stretched out. So whatever you do, you have to be able to undo it in time for the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like if you just shut him down, then he has to come all the way back. And so that's not good. If you move Hunter Brown down to two innings per appearance or whatever, you have to move him back up to four or five. So, um, you know, maybe the six man is actually the best thing for, for this particular team in order to keep all these guys stretched out. I was thinking about it in the way the Rays do it, where you know, usually you let guys go six plus because you don't you're not worried. You kind of cap them at four innings, five innings for mm-hmm. those those later season starts. That way they're still where you need them to be, and then you can just push them back up to six. Like that's that's the most reasonable Here's, thing you could do. You could skip one turn maybe along the way and get away with that too, depending on the schedule. The one wrinkle is they're three and a half games out of the division. And even though they are in the second spot in the wild card race, that is going to be a hotly contested spot in the wild card race. You've got the Blue Jays at 66 wins, Astros at 68, even the Mariners at 63. Um, you know, those are all teams that are going to be fighting for that last the uh, uh, wild card race. So they'd they'd rather be take the Rangers on, but. You know, I wonder if there's going to be some delicate playing around the last week of the season where they decide, okay, we're cool with the wild card at this point and we'd rather manage our rotation going into the postseason than uh, use up all of our bullets to, to attack the Rangers. I'm curious about something. I feel like we've speculated a ton this year about like, oh, this would be good if this team piggybacked this player and these two. I don't feel like anybody's doing that. You know, I don't yeah. know if you've ever well, the, talked the about Astros this. Are but in is a there a six-man rotation right now? No, no, but I'm saying like piggybacking, like oh, keep yeah. a five man rotation and piggybacking. And that's where I'm going with this. Have you ever talked? Is there an adv- what is the advantage outside of the obvious taking away one person off of your bench? What is the advantage to a six man rotation overtaking two pitchers and piggybacking them, which also could theoretically untax your bullpen a little bit if you give them each four innings and they go eight? I don't understand why more teams. I don't, and there's maybe something deeper why you wouldn't piggyback two guys instead of stretching to six if well, you don't need to give uh, rest to a guy like Verlander and you want to take away a start. I think I think it's the manager. So you're saying piggyback, we'll get eight out of it. Well, what happens in practice when you put those two pitchers out there and the manager wants to win the game? The four-inning guy comes out in the third and then the next guy comes out in the six. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. or the, or the and, and you got one less arm in the bullpen. I, I, I get but no, that. No, I just logic. mean also the manager's impetus to win the game will, will cut, like, we'll, we'll, we'll undo it a little bit. The, we, the, the, we, no. we do have a team that's piggybacking. You guys know who I'm about to talk about? I think it's the, well, I mean, the Rays tend to, uh, the Diamondbacks, actually, the Diamondbacks were doing one today, but the, uh, the Rays, the Giants are, 
Oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. They did that with it. like Walker the other day. Yeah. They have an always on uh, piggybacking situation in, I think, two spots. Uh, with anytime Wood comes in, somebody else has pitched two, three innings before him. And anytime Mania comes in, someone's been pitching before him. Stripling has an opener. So in three spots in their rotation, the Giants are playing around with it. And I think it's kind of like piggybacking with Wood, opener for Stripling, and Mania is the glue. Uh, Beck is also the glue. So Beck and Mania and Stripling and Wood are all three inning pitchers, and they just figure it out. You know, surprised we haven't seen Kyle Harrison if they're doing if they've got two spots for piggybacking. I think he'd be perfect for that. Even and wouldn't you rather see you know by the playoffs if Kyle Harrison could be an actual exactly. playoff starter for you and you could move Wood, Stripling, and Manai and Beck and all those guys into the bullpen basically. And Let him piggyback Stripling. Go Stripling goes two or three. You come off of a veteran and then he comes in three innings. Hundred percent. I'd rather win. that in going into a playoff series that I knew who my third starter was. Yeah. And I don't even think they know who their third starter is right now. Got one last player we should talk about. Grayson Rodriguez. I think he could be maybe the most difficult pitcher to project from a workload perspective. I mean, the Orioles playing for a first round bye. The previous career high was two years ago, 103 innings. Rodriguez was hurt last year, got to 75 and two thirds. I think you can project off of the previous high, even if it wasn't last season. Oh my god. So you goodness. get to somewhere. 140, 150, but he's thrown 115 and a third, and he's pitching well. No, I so see 122 for, for Grayson. For year. Grayson? Yeah. When did he get to that? I don't know. I'm looking at his page on Fangraphs. I've got 81 in the big leagues and 41.1 in the minors. Hmm. Yeah, 81 in the big leagues. Did he just there. start anyway. yesterday? Yeah, he just started yesterday, so the stats probably weren't updated, updated this morning yeah, yeah. when I looked. So 122, uh, and you said his previous high was 103? Previous high was, yep, it was 103 back in 2021. So wow. I just wonder how much they're going to push him and how they're going to navigate it because they need him. He's and an he's important piece for so them. so well, and he's throwing hundreds in, in the sixth. Last five starts, third to 11, K to BB, just one homer allowed, 303 ERA, whip below one. Like it's, it's all clicking right now. This would be a terrible time to have to significantly alter your plan for Grayson Rodriguez. And like, and and any of the stuff we're talking about, piggybacking this or that or this, like all that is like mm, messing around with someone who's like finally pitching like you need him to. And wouldn't you rather go into a playoff series, Grayson one, you know, Bradish two, Flaherty three or something? Rather, you know, it looks so much better if you can be like, we have an ace. You know, without yeah. him, I'm not yeah. sure they have an ace. You know, like I don't see like a number one that I want. You know, going. I like Bradish, but I'd like as your number one. What would be the number that would set off the alarm for a team? Like I know it's like what seventy innings last year, whatever, hundred and twenty. Like, what do you? Is there? Like, it's all the, this is all theoretical. It's like, oh, we don't want but to do this and this. But like, what's the alarm from last year that somebody would be like uh, raise their hand in the in the front office? Well, that's what I'm I, asking. I'm, I'm curious if there's like a number that is going to have everybody freak out because why would you have done this? Why would you have not managed Grayson? Maybe because of what a disaster some of the season was. Yeah, maybe they didn't even think down they, they'd, they'd need him right. in the playoffs or want him in the playoffs. Or they'd ha- yeah, they did want him. Yeah. I think the number that would freak people out would be something like 170. If he gets to 170, you're talking about the fantasy community, like people freaking year. out for next year. Anything, fantasy community, uh, coaching, baseball, you know, Grayson goes out, gets 160, and then you got some talking head somewhere that's like, you know, the <laughs> the, the, the Orioles are really being pretty uh, uncharacteristically um, they're marketing uh, his future. Volatile, what about this yeah, they're mar- 
what are they doing here? We need to have a bigger conversation about these arms. And, you know, <laughs> like that's what it's going to be. And I like what's the number that causes that uh, MLB network uh, roundtable conversation? Yeah, it's it's probably close to 100 more than last year. So maybe it's even 160, maybe 90 more than last year. So like five to more starts, essentially, is what we're saying on Grayson. That's basically that's when people are going to start asking, especially <laughs> it's going to be backwards analysis, too, where if he starts to fade at the end of the season, well, he, he, they gave him too much. He couldn't handle it. Got got tired. Didn't build him up the right way. It's like, well, what? Like he, he was struggling earlier this year when he was fresh and healthy. Like this isn't this isn't necessarily a link between fatigue and, and performance. It's just, it could just be performance. I mean, this is another guy that I'm going to be all over next year. And it's funny because I was, you know, I was fairly uh, invested in him this year because the projections were so good. But uh, he finally kind of showed us, I think, what he can do. And I, I, do, I don't know. I don't know. You know, with Bradley, the one thing I can tell you is he has all the innings he wants the rest of the season. I can't tell you that with Grayson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think you have to watch the news and watch the schedule very carefully and see if they tip their hand at all as far as how they're going to get through it. Maybe bringing Tyler Wells back into the big leagues at some point is part of the solution. But uh, John Means is also Rodriguez. rehabbing, I'd throw out. That's probably yeah, that right might there. be the stopgap that we're not thinking about is uh, Grayson gets you all the way to John Means' return where he can go deep and then Maybe they piggyback. We can keep speculating. Maybe they piggyback something with means. You don't want to press him. The last few innings for Grayson are just like, you know, one inning out of the pen for the fourth or fifth or sixth. Like, you know, that that can be huge. You know how many games get decided in the sixth? Like, you know, to have somebody to come in in the sixth. I mean, that's kind of what I think about Bradley being useful for the Rays. And he's going to throw 103, you know, if he's sailing it back and just uh, adding velo. It'll be nuts. These are the problems we have each and every year, of course. There are a few more rookie pitchers we'll talk about on a future episode. We got to a lot of the most concerning ones on this episode from a workload perspective. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for $2 a month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Welsh on Twitter at is it the Welsh. You can find Eno at Eno Saras. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.